Jesus, we thank you that our past, our present, woohoo, and our future is forever changed because of what you have done on the cross, in your death, in your burial, in your resurrection to the right hand of the Father on high. We thank you that the course of our life is on track because you are guiding us and leading us on into everything that you have planned for us. You are the author and the finisher. We're right on track being directed by you and we thank you for the incredible care and the security that we know because of your love toward us. We thank you that you're around us and about us. We sense it. But oh, what a wonderful discovery it is to see you within us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You're right in the center at the core of our being. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that through this life, we get to see you unfold through our lives. This side of heaven, we thank you. And to see that is a miracle itself. You are still the same yesterday, yes, and forever. And I thank you that you are working in your people. We live in you. We move in you. We have our very being in you in this life and far beyond it. We thank you into eternity. Our place in you is forever secure. Forever unmoved. We thank you. We have a place at the table, at the feast. Oh God, we just praise you as your people. We praise you as your people in this place and we thank you. We thank you. Jesus, we will never forget what you did for us on that cross. You took the weight of our sin, our shame, our guilt and the punishment we deserved. You took it in full so that we might go free. We truly do want to thank you. And Lord, I thank you for your people this morning. As we receive your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd encourage us, lift us up, strengthen us, and show us the way in which we're to go. We ask this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. Isn't it great to be together in God's house? It really is. And if you're joining us online this morning, we want to welcome you too. What a wonderful thing it is to come together as God's people, whether it's here physically in this building or even just coming on in line. I tell you, I'm believing not so long now where we will all be back in God's house together. What a day that's going to be. I was thinking about it the other day, you know, like um, having church lunch. Oh, we're going to have a big, massive church lunch. The first, I tell you, when we can all meet back together, maybe we need to commemorate that day with a big, huge, massive 
church lunch on the house. How about that? That'd be great, wouldn't it? It really would. But uh, and we, that's not too far away. I don't believe that's not too far away. Well done for keeping your spirit high. Well done for keeping on praising God through this difficult season that we've not, you know, been able to understand at, at all times. But well done for making God's word, God's house, fellowship with one another a priority. You know, we're going to come through this and it's great to be able to look back on it and think, do you know what? Lord, you were with us all the way. Your peace looked after us and we were praising you for your presence. Well done. Well done. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our series of messages titled A More Excellent Way. And as you may remember, this was a phrase that the Apostle Paul used when he wanted to help believers at Corinth who were struggling with some really big life issues. Ever had some big life issues? Oh, I've had some this week. We all, we're all aware of the issues that come sometimes on a daily basis, thick and fast. These believers at Corinth, much like us, were struggling with life issues, hitting the hurdles hard and falling. And they couldn't get beyond the obstacles. They couldn't get beyond the barriers, the challenges. We're overcoming them almost and Paul can see it. So he writes to them as a loving pastor, as a loving father, because he wants to show them a more excellent way. There's a more excellent way available to you, he says. Maybe they'd missed that way. Maybe up until this point, they had been ignorant of that way. So Paul comes to them. And it's almost as if he's saying, I want to show you a secret. I want to show you another route. I want to show you a way that will never fail you in this moment that you're facing and for all of your time on this, on this earth, through your life, this way will never falter. This way will never fail. I'm going to call it a more excellent way because it's a glorious way. And we said Paul wasn't showing them, you know, just a list of cold principles to follow in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He was showing them the person and the work of Jesus Christ and God's love as it unfolds in our hearts in everyday life. These people were going through a really tough time, but Paul lovingly comes to them and guides them through it in his desire to show them a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is Paul's description of this more excellent way, the way of love. And last week we started looking at the first three verses of this amazing chapter, the first three opening verses, where Paul is describing a very impressive life on the surface of things. A life that was rich in its ability to communicate, a life that was broad in knowledge and understanding. A life that had active faith that seemed so powerful, generous in its giving of gifts, willing to surrender at any cost. Yet there was one 
essential ingredient that was missing from this life that Paul described in these opening three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. And that ingredient was love. In the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul sends out five clear messages for all of us to be aware of. And these messages underscore that life means nothing without God's love in it. This is the prize. God's love in your heart working itself out into everyday life situations. This is the prize. Not an understanding intellectually of what this life might be doctrinally, but this very life of God that's been shed abroad in your heart, according to Romans 5.5, working itself out in the most difficult of situations and crises of life. You can see it. You can experience it. And through you, others can come into contact with it. It's an undefeatable love. It's an unconditional love. It's the divine love of God, the very love of God that sent Christ into our world to save it. That very love that's so broad and expansive and so deep and undefeatable is actually in you. I want to show you, he says, how to access this more excellent way. You need it. And they knew they needed it. And we need it too. And it's something that is so glorious that as we go after it, and as we submit to it, and as we access it and allow it to come up out of us in our, in our actions and in our attitudes, Oh, what a blessed way we will walk in. What a blessed way we have the privilege of seeing unfold before our very eyes. Now, you probably remember that in these opening three verses, Paul uses the I pronoun repeatedly, specifically applying the message to his own life because he wants to help these believers. He wants to tell them, that he was once where they were. He doesn't want to distance himself from them. And Paul here in these verses that we're going to read in a moment is possibly reflecting on what life looked like for him when he was outside of this love. When he was outside of that love that was so pure and holy and wonderful and so unconditional and undefeatable. He's reflecting on life outside of it. Paul was an articulate man. Paul was a very knowledgeable man to enforce the law, strong in his convictions of faith, generous in giving gifts, sacrificial in zeal to the point of laying down his life. But all of this as he reflects back and as he thinks over his life outside of that love of Christ, he says, profited me nothing. On another occasion, he said, all of the attainments that I had and they were many in relation to be, being religious, 
in relation to having position are as rubbish, are as dung for me. In, in comparison to having the surpassing love of Christ in my heart. And Paul reflects on that life outside of love as he begins to show them this more excellent way. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 from verse 1 to 3. And remember that Paul here is beginning to show these believers that he loves so much that are falling and failing under the hurdles of life. He's beginning to show them what love is not, firstly, in order then to show them what love truly is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3 says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul here right from the outset, gives these believers at Corinth and believers on beyond that time at Corinth five clear messages. He sends out five clear messages here in these opening verses. Messages that search all of our motives. Messages that measure our actions. And these messages that Paul sends out from these first three opening verses help us always to assess and adjust what we're doing at all times in life. These five key messages we began to summarize last week in point form to help us practically understand how they relate to us in life and how they can be fleshed out in everyday situations. Maybe you'll remember we covered just two points last week, and hopefully this week we'll cover the remaining three if I don't go down any rabbit routes, all right? See how far we get, but hopefully we'll be able to do that. But let me just remind you, as we begin now, of these five key points that summarizes what Paul is saying in order to help us understand how indispensable the love of God is in our lives. Firstly, Paul shows us that without God's love, all that we say is ineffective. Secondly, Paul makes it clear that without God's love, all that we know is incomplete. Thirdly, he goes on to remind us that without God's love, all that we believe is insufficient. Then fourthly, he moves on by revealing that without God's love, all that we give is insignificant. Then finally, fifthly, Paul points out that without God's love, all that we accomplish is inadequate. Paul is showing us that God's unconditional love in our hearts is indispensable to every other area 
of our lives. God's love. He's saying, if you get that right, if you get that operating, if you prioritize that in your attitudes, in your actions, if you make that your goal and your vision for life, God's unconditional love in your heart, working out in everyday situations, if you do that, you'll win, you'll be successful, and you'll discover this road, this more excellent way through all of life's complexities. They'd gone after their gifting. They'd gone after all of the things that Paul had just listed to them. And with all of their gifting, with all of their knowledge, with all of their great speaking, they were still failing and struggling. And Paul said, listen, you don't have to struggle anymore. That very love of God by the Spirit of God that came into your heart as a result of you accepting Jesus Christ can be accessed and can enable you to thrive in what God's calling you to do. We looked at the first two points last week where Paul shows us that without God's love, all that we say is ineffective. And also we saw how without God's love, all that we know is incomplete today. We're going to move to see how Paul understands faith and how he warns us that outside of love, faith has no value. That's a big statement. We're faith people. We believe God. We place our trust and our faith in God. But Paul is saying here, and warning the church here that outside of God's unconditional love, when faith operates out on its own, it adds no value to our lives. So let's look at this third point that summarizes what Paul is teaching us about faith in these opening verses. Third point, here we go. Without God's love, all that we believe is insufficient. Without God's love, all that we believe is insufficient. Now, when you, when you read that, or when you hear that, and when you see what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 about faith, you think, well, has faith got a place in our life? Look what he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Is Paul at odds with faith? Is Paul now saying that faith has got no place in our lives? No, not at all. Paul was a great man of faith. Paul saw the power of faith operate in his life. If you remember when he wrote to the church at Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe it's verse 8, he said these words, by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves that any man should boast. Paul knew the power of faith. Paul knew that faith gave access to the grace of God, which 
gives us open access to all of the wonderful blessings in Jesus Christ that changes our hearts and our minds and our very lives. Paul wasn't against faith, but Paul was warning these believers that when you try to live just on faith alone, outside of love, you become nothing. It adds no value to your life. Think about Paul for a moment. Man of faith. You read over his life and you look at the events and the circumstances that he went through. He saw God do incredible things. He saw impossible situations turned around. How? By faith. If anyone had mountain moving faith, it would be the Apostle Paul, without a doubt. And he lists these circumstances and these crises that he went through that persevering faith enabled him to go through. Let's look at 2 Corinthians for a moment. Chapter 11, verses 23 through to verse 29. And just think about the faith that Paul had to place in God as he faced situations that, that, that to us would seem incredible. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29 says this, Paul listing all of the circumstances and crises that he had to face and went through. Are they servants of the anointed one? I am beside myself when I speak this way, but I am much more a servant than they. I have worked much harder for God, taken more beatings, and been dragged to more prisons than they. I've been flogged excessively, multiple times, even to the point of death. Five times I've received 39 lashes from the Jewish leaders. Three times I've experienced being beaten with rods. Once they stoned me. Three times I've been shipwrecked for, for an entire night and day. I was adrift in the open sea. In my difficult travels, I've faced many dangerous, dangerous situations. Perilous rivers, robbers, foreigners, and even my own people. I've survived deadly peril in the city, in the wilderness, with storms at sea, and with spies posing as believers. I've toiled to the point of exhaustion and gone through many sleepless nights. I've frequently been deprived of my food and water, left hungry and shivering, out in the cold, lacking proper clothing. And besides these painful circumstances, I have the daily pressure of my responsibility for all the churches with a deep concern weighing heavily on my heart for their welfare. I am not aloof for who is desperate and weak, and I do not feel their weakness? Who is led astray into sin, and I do not burn with zeal to restore him? You talk about faith. You talk about mountain-moving faith. You talk about hitting the wall, hitting barriers, and having to believe God for the next moment for your life to be sustained. Incredible faith. Paul had faith to go beyond 
any kind of limitation and God honored that faith. Yet after assessing everything, Paul concluded here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that without love, I am nothing. It was love that empowered his faith, that enabled him to go beyond things that seemed so insurmountable. What Paul is saying is this, faith can never offer an alternate route to love. Faith alone can never provide another way of living outside of love. They're inseparable. But the moment that you try to separate them, you're on your own course, you're on your own way, and it has no value. No, love Working with faith will enable us to walk in that more excellent way. And Paul saw that. You see, if Paul didn't have this unconditional, undefeatable love burning in his heart, going through all of the things that we've just read about, he would have ended up bitter, being let down by people, having his hopes and his promises dashed, being cut down by hurt. If Paul didn't have a love inside him that was greater than his own emotions and, and, and greater than his own feelings, how would you ever get through that maze of crisis? But Paul knew this unconditional love and he relied on it and leaned on it with all of his life's weight and it never once failed him. It really didn't. Paul knew that love wasn't an optional extra, but an indispensable attribute of God that was necessary for every moment of life. And then, after teaching us about faith, Paul moves on, giving us a fourth message, showing us that without love, all that we give is insignificant. He's making radical statements here, but he's showing that love is the key. Love is the engine behind your faith. Love is the power that you need in your giving when you're being generous. Listen to what he says in verse 3 about giving and being generous. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You read the letter to the Corinthians and you see that there were wealthy people in the church at Corinth. And they were prioritizing their gifts and what they had materially to help the poor. And Paul here is certainly not saying that we shouldn't help the poor. He's not doing that. But what he's wanting to do is to ask everybody a very simple question. What is the motive behind your giving? Your giving is good. It's profiting other people. It's profiting people who are poor. But... It can only profit you if it's activated by love. 
Paul wanted their giving to profit them. Paul didn't want them to bring all of their material goods and all of their energies and all of their selfless service and lay it before the city of Corinth for it to all end in nothing. Paul said, no, I want you to profit from your generous heart, from your generous spirit, but your giving has to be activated by this unconditional love of God in your heart. If it's not, it profits you nothing and that would be such a great shame. Only the unconditional love of God in our hearts will help us to give with no strings attached. Only the unconditional love of God can cause us to give without any ulterior motive. But if our generosity, and this is what Paul is saying, if our generosity is used as a means of bolstering our prominence or trying to gain some position, we profit nothing. And that what, that's what was happening. They were giving and their motives were skewed. Giving because they wanted to be seen as prominent. Giving because they wanted position. And Paul just helps them. Don't take that route. Change your motive. Change your priority. Don't change that route. It won't go anywhere. It won't profit you. Come on, let's realign this now. Understand this principle. Let's get you walking on this most excellent way in the area of giving and being generous, clean your motives out with the love of God and do it unconditionally. Do you know, as many of you know, for many years now, the time has gone so quickly. For many years now, as a church, we have our department called Jesus Cares. And, and literally over the last 11, 12 years, it's been a provision that has met Literally hundreds of thousands of people from this little church, this little family on Lower Dock Street. I mean, it can only be a work of God's grace. It really can. It really can. How can it be sustained? You know, tens of thousands of volunteer hours, year after year after year after year. How can it be sustained? giving out to countless thousands of people on a yearly basis, working with hundreds of agencies across the region. How can that be sustained? The love of God. You take the love of God out of it. From people's hearts, your hearts, you take the love of God away from it. The key ingredient and I guarantee everything would come to a standstill. It would. You know that. You know that. It would come to a standstill. But the reason why it thrives year after year after year, whether it's giving food out, whether it's packaging provisions and clothing for, for little children and, and mums and dads, whatever we do, the reason why it thrives and continues without a glitch is because of God's unconditional love working out of our hearts to sustain it. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. 
and it evidences what 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 generosity what generosity should look like when God's love is sustaining it. Then fifthly, we come to our next message that Paul gives us to understand that without love, all that we accomplish is inadequate. Listen to verse 3. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul knew that some of the believers in Corinth were making incredible claims that they were ready to lay down their lives for Christ. The ultimate sacrifice. Some were standing up publicly saying to others they were ready to make this commitment. But Paul here cuts through all of the surface facade and all of their big promises and all of their big ambitions and gets right to the heart of the matter because before laying their lives down, they couldn't even get on with one another. They were arguing with one another. They were competing with one another. They were conflicting in their views and in their beliefs and in their attitudes, taking one another to court. And they had all of these great ambitions of laying down their lives for Christ, and yet they could not even sort out the simple issues that were surfacing in their midst. John the Apostle, in his letter, points out what self-sacrifice is really about. He doesn't call believers to lay down their lives for Jesus. John calls us to lay our lives down for one another. This is the hallmark of true love. And this possibly is not something that we would do. We would think if Christ has laid down his life for us as he has, surely we should lay our lives down for Christ. John turns it on his head by the Spirit of God. And he says, no, I'm not calling for that. I'm not calling for you to lay down your life for Christ, although many did. I'm calling for you to prioritize laying down your life for one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for Jesus? No, although we do. No, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, Paul wanted, like John wanted, to get the believers' heads out of the clouds and put their feet firmly on the ground and lay their lives down practically for one another in true love. So just before we move on, let me just quickly recap over these five messages again that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because they're important for us to see because we're going to move on next week into what this love is all about. Five messages that Paul's given us 
that show us what life is like without God's love. First of all, he tells us, without God's love, all that we say is ineffective. All that we know is incomplete. All that we believe is insufficient. All that we give is insignificant. And all that we accomplish is inadequate. That's what we've looked at in these first three verses. But now I want to show you, just in these closing moments, we're going to be quick here, but I want to show you that the opposite is true. Finally, let's think about how God's love transforms what we say, what we know, what we believe, what we give, and what we accomplish in our lives. Firstly, when love is our source, what we say will be life-giving. Ephesians 4 verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. What we say doesn't have to be ineffective anymore. But it can be life-giving when love controls what we say. Secondly, we can also be confident that when love is our source, what we know will be fruitful. Paul shows us this in Philippians 1, verse 9 to verse 11. He says this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is showing us here that what we know doesn't have to remain incomplete. It can become fruitful when it abounds in love. Then thirdly, on from here, when love is our source, what we believe will have practical expression. Galatians 5 verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What we believe never has to be insufficient, but can have practical expression when love, God's love, is its source. Fourthly, when love is our source, what we give will be abundant. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 to verse 8. Paul says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What we give will not be insignificant when done from God's love. It will be abundantly blessed by Him. And then finally, when love is our source... What we accomplish will be pleasing to God. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our accomplishments in life never have to be inadequate. Love makes them pleasing to God as we offer ourselves to Him and also lay down our lives for one another. Amen. You may look back on this past week and in view of 1 Corinthians 13, you may think, oh my goodness, I failed again. I've had a couple of months like that. I failed again. Okay. It's a, it's a reality that we have to face. We struggle with our soul. It's broken. It's being restored and repaired by this wonderful work of salvation that's complete in our spirit. So we, we are going to fail. But the great news is this. Failure is never fatal with God. And we're at the start of a brand new week. So we get to go at this again and again and again. And I guarantee you, little by little, you're going to become stronger. Little by little, you're going to be more able. God never condemns you. God never holds you to account about your failure. No, we learn and we grow in Him. So let's not be downcast today and think, oh, do you know what? I shouldn't have chewed my wife's ear off. I should have unloaded that dishwasher. I should have done the hoovering. Or as a wife, you may say, oh, do you know what? I shouldn't have hit him with a frying pan. That's a joke. It better be. <laughs> um, but look, James says this, to balance everything that we're saying today, hey, listen, we stumble and fall in so many ways. Isn't the Bible great? It doesn't hold this level of perfection, you know, like some kind of stern examination. Have you cracked it this week? No, we stumble and fall in many ways, but the great thing is we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. The earthen vessel is cheap and like clay, but this treasure, this treasure is coming out more and more as we come into contact with life and all of its complexities. Amen. Father, I pray today for your people. Lord, I pray that what we say will be life-giving. Lord, I pray that what we know will be fruitful. I pray, Father, today that what we believe will have practical expression in daily life. I pray that what we give will be abundantly blessed by you because your love will motivate our gifts. And finally, Lord, I pray that the accomplishment of our life would be pleasing in your sight as we come as a living sacrifice and lay our lives down for one another. I thank you for your precious people. Chosen and called by you. You know all 
of us, our weaknesses, our failures, our shortcomings, our sins, our history, but oh, with loving eyes, you're going to finish that work that you started in us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. You may be here today and do you know what? You've never asked Jesus into your heart. It's the easiest thing in the world. It's like breathing. You breathe in, you breathe out. Well, to ask Jesus into your heart, you simply have to believe. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Not you might, you shall. Place your faith in Jesus this morning. Believe on him. The Bible also says, call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. When you make a phone call these days, usually you just get a, an answer phone or a voicemail or you're in some kind of queue waiting for an hour to get an operator on the line. I tell you, when you call on him, immediate attention, immediate assistance. He will save you from your sin like he saved me, like he saved so many. Set you free from your guilt and your shame, and your pain. He's wonderful. He's the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and your call gets immediate response from heaven. I'm going to pray right now. You may be watching online. You may be here, and you want to pray and call on the name of the Lord. I tell you, a miracle is going to happen. How's it going to happen? God's going to make it happen because He loves you, and He gave His Son for you. I'm going to help you with a simple prayer and it's going to help you call on the name of the Lord to receive salvation. Why don't you just quietly, silently in your heart have this conversation right now with Jesus. Say this, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me on the cross that you were punished so that I might go free. You were punished for my sin so that I might have a new relationship with you. Thank you. I believe you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead and you are alive forevermore. Come into my heart. Let me know you as Savior and as Lord of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, whether online or whether here in this building, I tell you, a miracle has begun. You watch the peace, the comfort, the assistance, the care that you will receive from this very moment on. And we as a local church would love to be on this journey with you. We would love to give you maybe your first Bible. And we've got a little magazine with some testimonies in it from members of our church who have seen God's love work in their lives in incredible ways. We'd love to give you that as well. If you're watching online, details are on the screen right now, or they will be on the screen. You can send us an email at hello at King's Church, and we will get that off to you this week. No charge. We'd love to give you a Bible. Love to give you one of our magazines. Or if you're here, you prayed that prayer before you go. Why don't you let one of our team know, maybe one of our welcome team on the doors as you leave. We'll have a Bible for you. 
and um, we'll have a magazine. We would love to be on this journey. What a privilege we count it to give you that first Bible as you've received Christ today. And listen, keep coming back. Be a part of the family. And um, I tell you, Jesus has so many wonderful plans ahead for all of us. Isn't it wonderful? Listen, let's go out into this next week. Noel's going to come right now. But let's go out into this next week with an expectation to find that more excellent way. Whether it's in work and it's challenging as it can be, whether it's at home and you're trying to work things out because things are tough, look for the more excellent way and walk in it. Amen. The Holy Spirit will give you the energy, the power, and everything necessary to see how to do this. He really will. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Have a great rest of your day. And we'll stand to sing. Come on, let's give God praise. God bless you.